Hey, what's going on? I'm Jason Rockman, and welcome back to the Rockman Power Hour, a podcast where we talk to interesting people about all kinds of interesting things. And this week's episode is no exception. Personally, for myself, this is probably one of the most important episodes that we've done. I love Faith No More, one of my favorite bands in the entire world. And today on the Rockman Power Hour, we have founding member Billy Gould from the band and Matt Wallace, their longtime producer, together. Um, this is a very, very cool chat. We got to um, we got to talk at length about many of their releases, such as The Real Thing, such as Angel Dust. So if you're a Faith No More fan, you're in for a treat today. This is uh, an absolutely incredible conversation that I just feel privileged to, uh, to have actually been a part of, and uh, this one means a lot to me. But before I get too far, let me bring in my co-host and the man who helps make everything look and sound great, Ryan Stick. What's going on, Ryan? How's it going, dude? I'm good, good, man. You're looking... You're looking I, mellow. I, I, your, your joy from this interview is kind of contagious. So I've been smiling all day. So I was putting it together and I was just like, as much as I was watching them, I was watching your reaction to what they were saying. Because all your questions, you must have been wanting to know this stuff for like decades. Dude, I it's kind of like what you do with you, me, and YTV. Uh, you get a chance to talk to all these people that you absolutely love and you get to ask them things that you've always wanted to know. And this conversation was, was exactly one of those. Um, both are so generous with their time, both are so generous with their answers. And, and you could just see the genuine friendship between, um, between Billy and, and Matt. It was just, it was infectious. And just to be a fly on the wall, let alone be a part of the conversation, uh, was a privilege. And, uh, I would also like to thank the people that keep the lights on at the Rockman Power on that, of course, is Heartbeat Hot Sauce. It's been a trend now that I bring in a bottle of Heartbeat right from my fridge. I don't like to bring you, um, you know, the, the shiny full ones because it's not realistic. This is what goes on with Heartbeat Hot Sauce. It's this. It's this gorgeous. This is where I keep my Heartbeat Hot Sauce. <laughs> Heartbeat Hot Sauce, great hot sauce company out of Thunder Bay, Ontario. Check them out. And if you order right now and you use my code ROCKMAN20, which I will put right there for you, uh, that'll get you 20% off your entire order. So check them out, heartbeathotsauce.com. Uh, great partners here at the Rockman Power Hour. And of course, we'd like to thank the great Studio House Designs. Um, we are rocking Studio House right now. You're wearing a very, very cool green room shirt, which is awesome um yeah, and looks good you look good man you look buff in that shirt and uh and i'm wearing I'm not, a thing but thank you <laughs> <laughs> and i'm wearing the thing which just celebrated its 40th anniversary so uh check them out studiohousedesigns.com great company out of philadelphia that uh, i think you should uh you should rock good stuff all right ryan this is cool um, I don't want to take any more time because I really, really want to get right into this. This is a nice long conversation with two legends. Faith No More changed the face of music, um, influenced so many bands, and uh, this was beyond a pleasure to uh, to be a part of. So check it out, our conversation with Billy Gould and Matt Wallace. How's um, Jason? I'm good, Matt. Do you, Matt, do you remember us meeting? Tell me when and where. Was it so, a dark alley? No, it wasn't a dark alley. Um, <laughs> I, I used to sing. I kind of still do, but I don't do it much. I used to sing in Slaves on Dope. So we sat down and talked to you about doing a record once. Fuck. A Dude, long time ago. that would have been great. We should have done it. Yeah. I mean, I, it would have been cool, but I remember this was a long, long time ago. I think it was probably 20-something years ago and we were at an yeah. IHOP. Or no, we were at, a, I think we are at Mel's Diner in like the Valley or somewhere. Oh, wow. Jeez, you got a good memory. Yeah. Dude, yeah, we should have done it, man. 
Well, you know, I, I don't know if you would have done it. You might guys might not want to talk to each other right now. <laughs> so, so, okay. So here we go. So here we go. What a great way to start this off. Um, you guys have been friends for a long time. Oh, I Bill mean, and I fuck. Yeah. Jeez. So like you guys have been friends since you were, you were teens. I, I've been friends with Matt since before I even swore. <laughs> and before I swore too. Yeah. Bill and I met, I think Bill was like 19 and I was, I was 18. 18. Was 18. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I was 20 or 21. So yeah, we long time ago. So at this point, um, I, and I, I mean, obviously I want to talk a lot about a lot of things with you guys, but it, are you guys at a point? Cause I know a lot of people, like I'm, I'm 51. Um, and I know there's people I've been friends with for a long time, especially people you work with professionally, you'll go through like highs, you might go through a low. And then when you have distance from things, there's an appreciation that you get. And you're just like, I'm just glad we've hung in together this long. Have you guys gone through all those kind of things or have you just always been consistently on on pretty good i don't know man for me i feel like i mean i feel like i'm more in touch with bill and borden now than i ever have been i think for whatever reason we're just kind of more friends again because those are while we were together we were friends and we kind of everyone kind of drifts their own places and then i think all of a sudden i just i end up you know writing and saying hi to these guys just for the hell of it <laughs> you know starting really kind of actually in the 80s uh you know for about 20 years i mean we were on the road a lot too we lost I mean, I lost touch with a lot of people. I mean, I stayed in touch with them, like checking in with them once or twice a year or something. I say, yeah. Matt, we probably talked once a year or something very, yeah. you know, cursorily. But I mean, but yeah, there wasn't, it, it, that's a kind of weird thing about being a, a touring musician too. You, you kind of like, now that I'm not a touring musician, <laughs> me and Matt talk all the time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, plus um, I actually I actually ended up going on tour with the band. I actually toured with Bill and the guys to Chile. And then we also went to uh, New Zealand. Oh, that's Australia. right. I so forgot that, about that. Was this That's was right. this was this Soul Invictus like after like on the No. Oh, oh no. This is uh introduce yourself or yeah, it was No, the, it was the, it was, I think it was the real, real thing, thing for for New Zealand. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that we hadn't been that part of the world before. That was our first time and Matt, I think we were at the airport and then Matt's like, "Hey guys, we're like, what are you doing here? So I'm coming on the plane with you guys." <laughs> <laughs> Did now I know I know Matt can pull his weight in the studio, but when he was on the road, was he pulling his weight? Like was he humping gear no, or was I'm he fucking or, sissy? No. <laughs> they're 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 the road dogs. I was just like, you know, I have to brush my teeth and I need to have my clothes pressed and you know, I need to eat the special cereal, that kind of crap, you know. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's um the last uh, couple weeks have been uh, significant anniversaries and very important records, you know, obviously to you guys and to Faith No More fans. And, you yeah. know, that is, of course, you know, the real thing on the 20th, 33 years. And, uh, and, and everyone was talking about Angel Dust. And, and I think it's sometimes when it's in those, in those increments of 10, you know, when you get to the 30, it's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. The 20th. Yeah, 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 yeah. So is it, and I know a lot of people have been, been asking you guys questions and you've been talking a bit about the process back then. Is it, is it satisfying to look back and see that those records that you guys did when you were kids, um, still having this lasting effect on people? Yeah, for me, absolutely. I mean, I'm Bill may not remember this, but we were making the the real thing. I remember at Borden and maybe Bill were just saying they they thought they were, they were making a pop record, and I was like, this is not a pop record, you guys. I don't know what the fuck you're smoking, but this is not a pop record. And they really, really believed that it was a pop record, and sure enough, they were right. You know, in context, yeah, to what we did later, for sure, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, when you when you listen to the real thing, it's so poppy, it's so catchy. Um, you know, Patton's hooks are just like they're they're hooks, they're pop hooks. And it's funny because um, I, I you know I recently said this to to a few people, and I talked about it on my radio show how when I first got 
angel dust. I remember exactly where I was. I, I was dating a girl in Boston. I went to go see her and there was a new Faith Noir record out. So I went to um, Newberry Comics and I picked up a copy and I put it in my Discman. And I remember I first heard it and right away I was like, I don't know if I like this, which is crazy now because it's one of my Desert Island discs. But when I first heard it, I was like, this is so fucking different. And yeah. the vocals sounded, they weren't up front like the real thing. It, they were kind of buried and everything was, and there was a lot going on. It was just textured and it was, I guess it was all the tracks too. And it was just, it was a lot to handle. But now being more of a seasoned music listener, I realized that if I don't like an album at the beginning, sometimes that means if I tough it out, it's going to be the best reward. And that's what happened with that. Angela. can be true. Yeah. yeah. I think you're right. I think we had right. a lot. I mean, I personally had a lot of experiences of playing it for people, being excited about it and having them kind of like wondering, like, what is this? And seeing the look on their face was always really <laughs> discouraging. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it is amazing 30 years later. I mean, really, when you make something like this, you know, and you're kind of, we didn't really... It was just kind of a gamble, you know, uh, yeah. the, the, the best possible scenario is that in 30 years from now, will anybody care about this? Like, and if they did, like, that is the ultimate goal, you know? So yeah. in that sense, it's fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you guys could have made the real thing part two and done really, really well, obviously, but you weren't going to repeat yourselves. You know, it's interesting when Kerrang, this is like 15 years ago, we came out with the most you know, influential records of all time. I remember I started in the 50s going, maybe I've got a record in the 50s. And like, no, nothing in the 40s. No. Once I get to the 30s and 20s, you know, it's all these other bands. I go, oh, none of my records made it. You know, whatever. Number one, Angel Dust. Like, oh my God, I almost like pooped my pants. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. It, and it really did influence a lot of people and continues to. And it's fun to, to find new generations. You know, I, I went on YouTube and I found there's this girl that listens to albums for the first time that she's never heard. Oh yeah. And cool. it, there's this, and a reaction of her listening to this and she's like, and it's just great to hear someone with completely fresh ears that doesn't, isn't influenced by right. anything before right. or after hear this for the first yeah. time. It's interesting. Once that record came out, uh, people like bands found my home number, like system of a down and corn. Like people were calling it my home. <laughs> they want to be a record. Like what? You know, what the hell? Like surges outside your window. It's like, wake up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Somebody obviously was spreading your number around. So yeah, probably you, Bill. <laughs> but yeah, it was a really influential record. It's one of those records that uh, at first listen, it might take a lot to kind of get into yeah. it. And uh, but then after a while, I had that same thing with this band, Talk Talk. They had an album called Laughing Stock. Oh, wow. And oh, I yeah. Like, it. I love I love how he just rolls off. The, oh, this band, Talk Talk. Like, fucking, yeah, Talk Talk. Okay. Fucking well, but love I remember, Talk Talk. I remember I viscerally hated that record for the first three listens. I hated it. I thought it was the most really? piece of crap ever. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I really like this. It was yeah. really good. Oh, Talk Talk. Or just, yeah. I love talk talk. Yeah, because the song starts with a guy strums a guitar chord, and it's like you look at your watch. Like twenty five seconds later, they strum another chord. You're like, come on, man, let's get going with this thing. It's just so like lethargic and just yeah. Anyway, it took a while. Do you know there's a book about making a, a couple of their albums, right? Oh, really? Uh, their engineer wrote, and it's fan, it's fabulous. It's uh, fascinating. Like they they didn't make records easy at all. Oh, they no. did everything the hard way, like the hard way. Very very interesting. Very yeah, interesting. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. That sounds good. Um, when you uh, when you think of the um, you know the obviously the ups and downs through the process of Angel Dust, I mean it's been it was documented. I know there's that documentary that's kind of made its way onto YouTube that really really oh, yeah. you guys had cameras in there the whole time. Um, 
I think it added probably to the out the outcome. I mean, the tension, whatever was going on in, in the room, um, the frustration. <laughs> it, I'm sure it added to the outcome of, the, of, of what we hear. <laughs> I mean, you know what? You you can't from the final product. You there's a lot of things that contributed to it. You can't say what thing made it what it was. Yeah. But that was the environment, uh, and so that was part of what the record is for sure. We were there for two two and a half months. Matt, would you say? Yeah pretty much every day and that experience had a lot to do with just how it came out it it was really fascinating for me because i didn't know at the time that that the band wanted to do a very different record from the real thing right me as their friend producer cheerleader all that stuff i wanted to make a very different sonic sounding record so it was really interesting we both came into it like we're not doing the real thing part two sure and on our own we decided we weren't going to do that which was really fascinating i've never had that opportunity or situation with another band where we we both decided to go in a very different direction so it was really it's interesting. interesting with matt matt didn't really tell us where he was going with it so much so i remember like the, the rooms we were in before had these big drum rooms that were very live and we got into the studio it was probably what 1940s probably recording studio it, yeah. it had this radio sound of the 50s and 40s very dead and yeah. tight and yeah. the drums are really punchy in there and i was like this is kind of this is really I mean, same instruments we had basically from yeah. the record before, but they just sounded really different in that room. And yeah. uh, and then Matt was really anti-compression at the time, which yes. I didn't yeah. really know how compression worked then. So all I knew was like, how come it sounds different? You know, mm, yeah, <laughs> has, right. we're going to make a record without compression. <laughs> yeah, I really I really pushed that hard because I felt yeah. the real thing was over compressed, too much high end. And so I really right. eschewed that approach. I wanted to do something very different, just like you guys as a band, I, I didn't want to repeat that. And I wanted to find like different avenues. We, and that was really interesting because if you remember, Bill, we actually went to Brilliant Studios first and we did right. a bunch of like, we did some demos. Then we went back right. there and we actually reamped the drums through that studio and That's recorded right. them. That's and then right. Bill and so I, Brilliant, Brilliant was a big live room. Okay. Yeah. 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 So we, we, we amp, reamped the drums in that room, but we, they weren't played in that room. And then Bill and I spent a lot of time, he had that place in like the sunset area. And we actually spent a lot of time with his eight track, like working on guitar parts and working out arrangements. We did a lot of work on that record. A lot of work. We did. It was a lot of work. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, that's, yeah, with the front end of it was just, you know, with the pre-production and then you and I working on guitar stuff, making that record was really, really rugged. It was really rugged. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think we had any days off, right? I mean, I think everybody well, was getting really tired and pissed off yeah. and like, yeah, we were working we're- hard. The worst thing was that the people who ran Toast at the time, we just were, were not well-versed at how to support a band. I remember I had to send some like FedExes and, and I'm like, hey, can you guys send this FedEx? Like, oh, do you have an account or can you pay for it? I'm like, I'm working. And then our assistant Gibbs stopped showing up in the room. So I'm in the room doing the engineering, producing, assisting, and they stopped answering the phone for us. We had our own phone line. So I'd be in the middle of a take, like ring, ring. No, Pat's not here. Hey, okay, bye. You know, like ring. Oh, it, it, the pressure on that record was really, really substantial. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, you're coming off the, you know, and of course, you know, when you go back to the real thing, the real thing had been out for a while and everyone thinks, oh yeah, you put the real thing out and then Epic just hit. You guys had been working that record live oh, yeah. for fucking what, 18 months? That record failed. Uh, I mean, yeah, 18 months we, we were on tour. Right. Until supporting when- it. And, and, and it kind of, and like, yeah, it probably broke in what month 16, would you say, Matt? Yeah, it was of those long. 18 months. Yeah. Yeah. So we we failed maybe three or four times those first 16 months. The record was a failure. And one more shot. We're going to try one more video. And oh, the record company came back. We want to try one more video. And we were doing these shows like 
I mean, Metallica had us open up for them, you know, and it's, a, it's an amazing spot to be. But, you know, our music is not for their fans. It was it was very different for them. So yeah. we would sell like one T-shirt, you know, like, yeah. nobody, nobody cared. Nobody they, they, they didn't. And, you know, James Hetfield actually came up, played War Pigs with us. And then, like, people came around. And right, that was amazing right. that he did that. And actually, people like this. After, it's almost like they just needed a context and what kind of how they could kind of what kind of box they could put us in for it to make right. sense. But we had years of that. We had not years of that, at least 15 months of that probably yeah. before the, the thing broke. And, and then you, you know, you, you think um, a, a song like Epic, it just hits and then everything switches. And, and, you know, I've seen what happens with, with bands, you know, when you get the radio support and you get the MTV support, everything changes in different markets. You know, like when you go yeah. back to that market with radio support, it's like, holy shit, you yeah. get all the other people, you get all the other attention that you, you know, maybe you, obviously touring, you're going to build up a fan base. You're going right. to diehards, but then all of a sudden, all this other attention comes. Yeah. So it's got to be a little overwhelming. Yeah. It's very different because well, also before you say the Epic was the big hit, I mean, yeah. we toured Europe probably four or five times, maybe six, right. Sure. On that going, kept going back because every time we came back, we were selling it out and it was getting bigger. And, yeah. From my view, it's like something's really working here because our shows were also very physical back then. So yeah. they were big, sweaty, very, very chaotic shows. And I was like, you know, we played the Astoria in, in, in London and like the, the guardrail got broken over. And people were just like dogpiling on each other. It was like madness. And that was amazing. Right. And that's when MTV picked up our video right around that time. And everything got actually less wild in a really weird way. Once it got in the mainstream uh, media, everything, everything changed in, in, in also a less rock and roll way, if that makes any sense. I don't even remember, Bill, but um, do you remember MTV said that if they could participate in the editing of that video, they were going to play it. I remember you guys let them get their hands on it. They edited it and they put it out for two 120 minute shows. Like it was a Sunday night at 10 o'clock at night. And then they okay. sat on, they sat on for six months. And, okay. I've, and I've said so many times to people, I said, Faith No More broke it. It wasn't MTV. It's like you guys went back and forth to England, did across the yeah. United States. I think yeah. they finally had to play that video that was sitting on their shelf because you guys created such a groundswell because they did they did nothing to really support it initially. Yeah, I, I would say I would say still, you know, even though that really did pop us and made average people know who we were by yeah, name. I right. think that that we had something really good going up to that even if that wouldn't have broken as a single i mean who knows where we would have gone with that and what would have happened it, it would have probably changed our trajectory a little bit like in our approach to music probably but uh it might have been more aggressive who knows uh right. but right. yeah it's it's very interesting and it's just funny you know when you when you see where bands are you know different points in their career um you guys play the spectrum here in montreal and on the bill i think it was voivod headlining Soundgarden mm. were in the middle and you guys were opening. And it's just funny to see how, you know, depending where <laughs> yeah. bands go, you know. Well, we started breaking. So the end of that tour, that that's actually when it broke around that time. Because right. That was about a two month tour. And, and by the end of that tour, Epic was on uh, getting on the airwaves and people were all coming to see the opening band, which was us. Right, right, right. <laughs> we had the buzz then. And uh, it was like an early show. You know, it was really funny. Everybody could see something was changing. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people don't realize. I remember. Well, first of all, we, when that record was turned in, Warner Brothers we used to say to us, "Man, love the record, love the record, but it's not going to get played on radio because that kind of music doesn't get pay, played on radio," mm -hmm. which was true. And then, and basically, Faith No More broke open the gates for that style of music, which of Absolutely. course you eventually distance yourself from. But also, when people don't realize that that song has a forty-five second instrumental kind of just jam freakout, where everyone just the drums are going off, the bass is going off, and the guitar is going off for forty-five seconds. For a song that made it what number eight or nine on the chart was mm. like that's that that 
expected a lot from the listener to listen to that. You know, they had to like the song an awful lot to listen to that. You know, one thing about Faith and More is you guys have always challenged the listeners. Um, yes. and, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why there's such a fan base is that people, I think people want to be challenged by their music. Sometimes they don't want to obviously be spoon fed all the time. Okay. Here's your three minutes and 30 seconds of absolute perfection. And it's nice to have, to be challenged as a listener. And I think, you know, like, like I go back to, and I know, I know you guys like killing joke, but like, I've always liked killing joke because they, they challenged me always from, and then they, they would always take different turns and you know then they would put out a song like love like blood and then distance everybody mm -hmm. and be like what are you doing totally. so and that kind of got into my dna as an artist because i remember our band did not care about success like we just wanted to do i mean right from naming our band slaves on dope people are like you're so stupid yeah. no one's going to care <laughs> about your band and i was like well listen and you know changing from one album to the next like just being like all right i don't want to scream anymore now we want to sing and people are like you guys it, it it's just you guys kind of are like the I hate to say this, but you're the blueprint of doing what the fuck you want to do um, to to a lot of modern bands. It's interesting. We came from a, actually like SF underground scene, really, right? And okay. that was in the, in the early '80s. And so, you know, major labels were like they were like the devil, you know, and everybody <laughs> was getting screwed by them. They were watering yeah. down everybody's music. And you know, we we had a thing where we were touring a lot, and we were also noticing that we couldn't get our records in the in the stores. And we're like, the only way you could kind of break this like weird little thing we're in is you know to get bigger distribution. And so you know, we we kind of said like, we're gonna go to this major label thing. We're gonna try this thing out, but we're gonna be militant about you know guarding our music. Like nobody can fucking tell us anything. Like this this had to be a core value of ours if we were gonna survive this because we weren't gonna make the mistake that all these other bands we saw make, you know? And, and so that was something that I think we burned into our consciousness very deeply. Yeah, you guys were initially like an art band, art rock band. You, <laughs> yeah, basically. Weird, and the thing was, you guys, uh, the thing I've always admired about Faith No More is you guys would willingly go in any direction that you felt like going and you didn't really care about the audience. And if one guy in the band said, we're gonna do a polka song or whatever kind of song, you're like, let's do it. And I, I really love that about the band. And to me, this was one of the few bands I felt was at least for a long time, very, very, very democratic. We have these, like, it's like a five-pointed star. Each guy's pulling in different directions. Each guy's a different influence. And because of that, that tension of all the different guys pulling different directions, it actually had a really solid center, you know? And I just, I've always admired the band just for that reason where you guys just do what you want to do. And you did challenge your listeners. Yeah. And, that's, and you really, people had to earn their way into Faith No More. And when they did, they were, they were diehard fans. It was really one of the only band that ever had that kind of, you know, ad admiration for also the only band I've ever like stayed in the same room with, you know, and slept with this, the guy yeah. in the room. But I mean, we, yeah. we, had, we, we challenged each other too. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, a lot of it, you know, what we got as the end result, which I, you know, I'm happy with most of it came through a lot of like people suggesting things that other people probably wouldn't do on their own. And it's a matter of trust, uh, acclimation, arguing, you know, not very efficient process, you know, <laughs> but I think it, I think it helps. It helps the the result to be bigger than any one person, though, too. I think you're right, and I also think the fact that Patton was one of those few singers who didn't have his ego attached to his voice, and he could actually sing a song like "Be Aggressive," which is not who he is. That's true. That Roddy go here, sing these lyrics. If he was look, if someone brought that to Metallica <laughs> or System of a Down or Corn, those guys like, would not. Here's the lyrics to your song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they'd be afraid because they're they'd be an affront to their masculinity. And Pam's sure. like, oh yeah, absolutely, I will sing this. 
One, because he was unafraid to do it, but two, because you guys were so up for challenging people that you're going to, we're going to sing about, you know, guys giving each other blowjobs. Yeah. Yeah. But that's really, really, really bold. I think that's really creative. And you know, where else can you go when most stuff has already been sung and done? This band's like looking in the nooks and crannies, like, well, what if we do a song like this? It's like, let's do it. I mean, really what a thrill, seriously. Yeah, I think there's some guys that might have issues, you know, take issue with singing You're the Master and I'll take it on my knees. Like I, I can maybe not now, but I, I'm sure at that point. Yeah. I mean, obviously the world's changing. Um, you know, you guys, again, we, when we start off, you guys have a, a long friendship. Um, some of your first recording experiences, Bill, were with were with Matt. Um, some of that early stuff, you know, a lot of people talk about Faith No More with Patton. And of course, I mean, it's it's, yeah. it's the, but, you know, the stuff with Chuck introduce yourself that you know that first major label album that album's amazing um and it's and it's funny when you go back because as much as i love it it's hard for me it's like asking me to pick one of my favorite kids with your records but introduce yourself is a really really good record and there's some great fucking songs on there yeah Um, Yeah. and it just i kind of feel it gets left out of the, the conversation sometime well and it's a completely different energy than anything afterwards too it's very scrappy it's very lean and scrappy and and it's very lively. It's very, it's got a lot of life and air breath to it, I think. Yeah. And I think for me, one of my favorites is We Care A Lot. I, for me, the We Care A Lot is my favorite record because it was the, it was really the culmination of this band really coming together. We finally had enough money to be yeah. in a real studio. Yeah. And, and we made that record in two, three day weekends, including mixing. So we Crazy. lived and breathed that record. And it's super creative considering how little time we had, how little budget. But you listen back to some of that stuff and we're like, Man, the, it's it's a bigger, broader record than I ever thought we could have done in the under those circumstances. And under those circumstances, for sure. Yeah, and that was really the beginning of the, the of your bass tone of like you had that real attack, and we had the bass cabinet in a room, and it was ambient, and it was like that's a cool bass sound. That was really the beginning of that Bill Gould bass sound, or at least for me, anyway. And by yeah. the way, I was still learning how to be an engineer when 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 Bill came on board. I think I'd only been doing it for like you know nine months before he showed up. And then we did, uh, you know, uh, Your Firstborn, which was his band, and then Sharp Young Men. So we, the thing I like about Faith the More for me that's closest to my heart is that we grew up together in music. Right, right. The fact that we had yeah. success together is the thing that really makes it, for me, the thing that's closest to my heart. Because we, we learned together, we grew up together, we made mistakes, and then we hit the top together. That is, for me, the, the, the thing that's really important to me. And it feels really good to have been a part of that, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. When you um, when you guys did uh, that show with Chuck uh, right before he passed at the Troubadour, I believe it was at the Troubadour, right? Was that was that a cool experience? Was that kind of a nice, you know, a, a nice to put a nice bow on that that chapter with him? What, what was that like? I, I, and I've always been curious about that because I, I remember when they announced that I, I was trying my best to come to LA for that, and I just couldn't do it. But I was like, this is I know this is not going to be something that's going to happen again or often. What was that like? Huh. You know, it was a lot, it was a lot, it was a lot of things. Uh, it was, it was, it was, it was kind of, I mean, you know, we, we were doing the sound check on the first show, I think we in San Francisco and I could hear Chuck's, you know, voice over the monitors. It was just, it was really weird. Yeah. It had been 30 years since yeah. I'd heard that on, been on a stage and heard that coming through a monitor. I mean, sure. it, 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 that brings back a lot of shit. I mean, there's just sure. no doubt about it. Um, you know, he, uh, he really, was on himself he went into this kind of like i'm gonna do this right like he went into the shows super focused and i think he always was kind of a focused guy but he didn't want anybody to know that before i think he 
he tried to hide that that part of it but he he came into this really kind of like really caring about what he was doing and in a weird way it took the pressure off me to have to like worry about what he was doing because i knew he cared you know and yeah. it was a really great way actually to tie everything up because we were kind of we kind of played like the band that, that that maybe we should have been you know yeah. back in the day yeah. and, it, and it speaks volumes of, of Patton being able to step back and let that happen because a lot of people would be you know well maybe they'd be a little territorial with that um mm-hmm. I think that's kind of cool that 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 was able to to happen. Well, Patton had Mr. Bungle, so he couldn't really complain about territory. I mean, to be honest, no. But I'm just I'm just saying it, it's nice as as someone who cemented himself as the front man to be able to step back and go, hey, you know, I think it's cool. I just think it's a nice it it, yeah. it it's a it's a generous thing in a way. It is. I have to say, you know, Patton is obviously the technically much better singer by far, and he's the best vocalist I've ever really worked with. To of be course. honest. But I have to say something about Chuck that I found very endearing is that he had his heart on his sleeve and he sang yeah. about real, genuine, fundamental, emotional things. And there was a real through line as a listener to me to listen to what Chuck was saying. I'm like, this guy really means it. He's lived it. You know, he's got his heart yeah. on his sleeve. And I have to say there's something really endearing about what Chuck did. I really It's true. It, it's a really different energy, uh, yeah. but a very deep, deep energy, even if, yeah. if, if you can get past the technical issues, you know? You know, there's a, it's funny when you listen to kids now, and, and Matt, you'll know this. Both of you guys will know this because you, you work with people. And, and, and Matt, I know you work with a lot of vocalists. Some people will hear certain voices that have character and they equate that as to not being able to sing. Like, perfect example, I spoke to a young kid recently and they were going on about how Perry Farrell was a horrible singer. Like, he's always off. And I'm like, well, no, that's him. He's just not auto-tuned. He's, right. he's just not corrected. Um, I find that's one of the things that kind of is lacking nowadays with a lot of vocalists is just having that character in the voice. And Chuck's a perfect example of a guy that had character. I mean, you can't, it, no matter where he was going, he, yeah. he, he, he had something in his voice that was real. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, I'm sure Bill, you probably talked about this in the press before, but you know, when we did the demos at my studio, we had an eight track studio and, and I remember I ran into Bill and Borden and we went to some party in Berkeley and Bill's like, yeah, man, you got to meet our new singer, this guy named Chuck. I'm like, oh, cool. So I, I go there and Chuck is just beyond wasted. I'm like, oh my God, this is really going to be a wreck. So we go in the studio and that day had, had the band recorded and Chuck just did basically screamo through everything. Just like, just scream, 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 scream. I'm just like, oh my God, this is just not happening. And I remember, I think it was, I don't know if it was Bill or I, one of us or some of us talked to him and said, you know, can you use something more like Frank Sinatra? And to, to Chuck's credit. You know, you, you know, you know what happened? We were what? doing, he were testing the mic and he was like, talking or test the mic, just testing. He starts singing it. Frank Sinatra's like, oh, strangers in the night. We're like, Sing like that. <laughs> and he's like, huh? Okay. Do exactly what you're doing, but prune it. And he's like, yeah. okay. And it was greed, right? And we're like, yes. this it sounds amazing. Dude, right. I greed. Okay. That track, I still put up that eight track version of greed. Do you, do you have I, a Screamo eight track? Do you have that? No, I don't have that. That would be an amazing thing to put out, actually, when Chuck <laughs> screamed everything. I don't have the Screamo, but the, but the one that he yeah. sang is just like, it's so good, you know? It's, I just love I lo- that whole track. I love that version from the studio. That moment in time, him singing is still, what, for me, a high point. I just love that. I love listening to that track. I don't think I'll ever be able, now that you've said that about Frank Sinatra, I don't think I'll ever be able to listen to the pre-chorus of Anne 
song with that with a, <laughs> I can do it without thinking of Frank Sinatra now. But even 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 like spirit and excellence further down the road. Mm. That's an extended melody, and a lot of modern stuff is a really tight melody that doesn't go very far. Sure. But Chuck did have a sense of melody, even though he wasn't the best person to sing him. He came up with really beautiful melodic moments that really were resonant i think i mean he, he was a great piano player actually and he oh, wrote a bunch know. of scores and stuff yeah when i knew him i was in a band in, in la i was like you know probably joined like 14 15 years old he was a keyboard player and uh he was a great piano player he, he never sang he never never really wanted to be a singer and i knew him that way and right. and his whole persona and what he was at fifth was really different than 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 the guy I knew before, and he was very actually he really underplayed it, but he had he was very uh, knowledgeable musically. So the the um, the history of, of Faith No More and Matt Wallace went as far as it went as far as Angel Dust, yeah. and then you know there's there's a split, and you you do a record with someone else. How right. did that how did that come about? Was it because was it a scheduling thing? Was it we just need to try to get well, new energy? Well, I, I, first of all, I, I known and loved the guys for a long time and I did not want to be an anchor. I didn't want them to feel like they had to work with me every single sure. time. I mean, we worked together on every single recording they've ever done. And, I, and there's a couple things that happened. One was I wanted to let them know that they, they could do whatever they want. And I wouldn't, my feelings wouldn't be hurt. And I also did, I remember saying after the whole Angel Dust thing, I said, listen, you guys need a new producer, a new guitar yeah. player or both. Cause I just, I was tapped out and I, okay. and, and so, yeah. but, but I wanted them to succeed and I didn't want to be like, you know, oh, we got to work with Wallace again. Ah, you know, <laughs> there was, I mean, that thing of the angel dust was when he said it was two and a half months. I mean, and we do know each other that well. I mean, there's good things about it that we talked about and the, the, the hard things about it are you get to know somebody so well that it's hard to actually focus and get serious work done because you're just fucking around all the time. Right. Cause you know, the other person is not going to do anything. And what is he going to, you know, you know, each other, right. You yeah, know how yeah. to push each other's buttons. And, <laughs> you know, that's, that's all fun and games, but it, it doesn't, it's, it's, it makes the work actually harder to focus yeah. and actually, you know, and, and Matt was kind of like, after this, like, I don't know if I can do this with you guys anymore. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and we were like, you know, and it seemed like kind of like, well, what we only have hurt ourselves. I mean, how you capture a band that is a lens, like a glass lens. And, you know, we've always heard ourselves recorded through Matt's lens, you know, yeah. and it was kind of like, what could we sound like through somebody else's lens? I mean, it was kind of like, kind of a cool thing. Like, why not? Right. Maybe right. we might see a different aspect to ourselves that we don't know about. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's very, it's very faith no more <laughs> to, to make that move. Definitely. I guess so. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. And I, and I get it. Like you, you, you know, when I, when I originally spoke to you about coming on, on the show, um, Bill, you, I said, you know, would you be cool if Matt joined in? You're like, oh man, like if he comes in, I've known this guy since I'm a teenager, we're just going to fuck around the whole time. So I can see what you mean by that. Yeah. We've gotten into some trouble together. So <laughs> I, I, I'm not even going to ask you to share anything. Cause I don't want to. There he goes. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, you said it. Can you, can you, can, do you want to share any, any, any trouble you might've gotten into get? You recognize this flag over there, Matt? No, what's that from? That is, a, I'll give you a little clue. It's a Vietnamese flag. Okay. For what? We uh, picked up in uh, Samoa. Oh, okay. I did. I don't you remember. You got a that. flag too, didn't you? You got a flag. Yeah, I did, but I don't remember that. You got the Vietnamese okay. one. Yeah. So okay. the Samoa. Yeah, yeah. So Bill. Anyway, yeah, we... Go ahead, Bill. No, no, you, no, no. You... Matt, you well, anyway, so Bill, Bill knew this. Uh, priest in the in the state in la 
And, and Bill sounds Wilder, good already. <laughs> I just was going to say, <laughs> Bill knew a priest in L.A. And, oh. a, and, a, and apparently he was not molested by this priest. So uh, Bill said, hey, Matt, we're going to go to Samoa and record this uh, Samoan chorale group. And I'm like, oh, that sounds great. We weren't sure if there's any electricity there. So I put together all this recording equipment, and we had like literally 20 pounds of batteries. And we went there to record the Samoan group. And, oh, wait, so before then – Bill's like, oh, Matt, you got to try this stuff called Sananamax. It's like this natural thing from a health food store. And I remember trying it in, the, in your sunset area, uh, a place. And I was like, nah, this stuff doesn't feel very good. So anyway, we move, we go to Samoa and we start fooling around. I'll let Bill take over for a while. Then I'll jump back on board. <laughs> no, we went to record this, uh, this choir. The Samoan, uh, actually, Samoan culture has this amazing singing choirs. Like, that's, okay. it's, it's, and they all sing. They grew up singing. It's like this amazing thing. And I had heard it before and I was like, that's something that I couldn't find records of it. I actually wanted to buy records of it. I, they, I could, they didn't exist. Even when we went to New Zealand, I couldn't find records of it. So it's uh, found a hookup there and, and Matt and I went down there to record it. And it was, it was really interesting because, well, for a couple of reasons. One, the, the choir that we were there to record hadn't rehearsed at all. And they'd never been recorded before. So they're coughing and hacking through the whole recording. We came all the way down there and it was like, we couldn't get a good take on anything. And then, we decided like we rented this car and we decided to drive around and just check check the thing out on an off day check the island out and um we came to this place where there was like a kids choir singing and we just drove up there and walked in and these kids were freaking amazing this is exactly what we come all the way to capture and uh we didn't have our recording stuff with us. No, well no but what had happened though was we had packed all of our gear because it was actually the day before we were going to leave so we oh, packed all our gear up and we're like, okay, we're done. The stuff's ready to go. And then you and I got it. This is giant. I mean, this is a humongous grass hut the size of a basketball court. And I remember yeah, Bill and I yeah. there, and all these young men are sitting on the ground, and they're singing, and they're chanting, and they're pounding their chest. And they're, it was fabulous. It was so powerful. And they were so in, uni in unison and melodic, but but just viscerally powerful. And we're looking at yeah. each other like, this is what we should have recorded. Oh, my God, because the Samoan crowd was just they were so sketchy. It was just, it was really bad. we went all the way down there, recorded this stuff and, and none of it was really usable enough to release. Like I, I keep every time some new plugin comes out that release that takes noise out of something. I run these tapes through it. Really? Any way we can salvage it, but not yet. Yeah. It's, it's pretty tough. But so, so anyway, one, one of the hijinks was, well, there's a couple hijinks. One is we met these Australian gals that we ended up kind of pounding around with. And it was like the day before they were going to leave, we went down to this restaurant called the waterfront and they were both vegetarian. And so Bill and I are looking at the menu and they're like, oh yeah, we, you know, but we'll eat fish. We go, oh great. We go, look, <laughs> these things called prairie oysters. I'm like, oh, oysters, we'll eat those. And Bill and I order them. And of course we're, we're eating them, you know, and then of course Bill and I start laughing and they're like, what's going on? And we go, well, they're not actually oysters, they're actually bull testicles. They get up from the table, they, they push their chairs and they go, fuck you guys, we're gonna leave. And we finally get them to calm down. They sit back down and we're sitting there. And then the cook comes by, the chef, and he goes, How's your dinner? And we go, yeah, you know, we did this prairie oyster thing, and the ladies got upset. He goes, oh, they're not bull uh, testicles. They're pig testicles. <laughs> There's no bulls on the island. <laughs> but let's, let's just say we rented a car. I think it was three cars on the whole island, and by the end of the, like, week, everybody on the island knew who we were. Because <laughs> we were driving like, like idiots. And then one day, Bill and I are walking down this road, and this truckload of these Samoan guys go by and someone throws a rock and hits me right in the head because we had harassed so many villages with the car. Yeah. And then, anyway, and then one of the anyway. youthful shenanigans. Yeah, exactly. It was good. It was fun. It, you, um, you came back together to work um, on Sol Invictus. Uh, 
do you remember Matt when you first got the call from Bill that that Faith No More was back on, and how much in advance of all these announcements did you know that the band was kind of going to be coming back? Well, I knew a little bit because, like about four months prior, Bill had come down with a hard drive with the music to play to me. He just wanted to make sure that you know he thought he wanted to get my take on if things were sounding good or whatever. So and so he for whatever reason had to transfer everything to my hard drive. And we listened to all this stuff and I said, oh, the stuff sounds good. Everything, you've done a great job recording, great. So Bill finishes up and he starts driving home. And I, of course, have this recordings of Faith No More. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna listen yeah. to it. I'm gonna mix it. I'm gonna show the guys that they should hire me to mix it. And Bill calls up, he goes, hey, Matt, you know that stuff on your hard drive? I go, yeah, he goes, I need you to erase it. I'm like, oh man. And it was one of the most difficult things in my entire career is I erased what I really wanted to hang on to. And I just wiped it. I was like, well, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to, because I really wanted to mix it. So I, I wiped it. And then like six months later, I was like, hey, I got this stuff. Do you want to mix a song? So he gave me the stuff and I mixed a song. And, and I guess it did a good job. And then he hired me for the rest of them. So so all the stuff you had, was this stuff, Bill, that you just guys just turfed? Or was it stuff that you... Well, I mean, we recorded the album in our rehearsal room, right? Right. So course. we didn't tell anybody we were doing it. So, no. I mean, we didn't tell anybody. Like, really, I didn't tell my wife. For, for a couple months when I was working into it and really? uh, because I just didn't we just didn't want people speculating we, I just didn't want to hear noise I, and mm. and also we, we didn't have any engineers we didn't have we were doing it I was just using my recording gear that I had collected over the years and I was just doing it myself and you know when I went down to Matt's was like I mean you know you start working in a vacuum where it's just me and the guys and I'm yeah. probably the most technical so I don't have anybody to bounce anything off of and I was like what am I doing? I've spent two or three months in this thing. And like, am I going up a, a, you know, down a rabbit hole or what? And Matt was like, just Matt, tell me that this is usable stuff. And I right. thought it sounded great. I don't even know what I'm hearing anymore, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, just, I just said, he's doing, I said, Bill, you're doing a great job. It sounds really good, man. Keep going. And it was, it was really, it was really great. I, for me, it was a thrill to hear the band being produced by the band and doing their own thing. Sure. Uh, any outside influence. I was like, that was really exciting to hear that stuff. It was really cool. And did that do? Did the stuff that you originally got, Matt? Did a lot of that stuff end up on Soul Invictus, or were they were there? All of it. Yeah, it is okay. Okay. Yeah, Bill came down with Superhero, and I mixed it, and and I saw I, I spent a couple of days mixing, and I actually mixed it to sound like Queens of the Stone Age. It was like really thick and just like yeah, yeah, you know, and and, yeah. and it was really, I was so excited to play it, and Bill's like, no, <laughs> I'm like what. <laughs> So Bill sits down on the couch and like in 45 minutes, I have to revamp the entire mix and get it back to where Bill, because Bill had more of that kind of scrappier Faith the More sound, like where you can hear the room ambience on the drums and the bass. Yeah. And it's a little more trashy for for lack of a better term. And so I had to kind of reshift my thinking and kind of get back to what Bill wanted. It's funny you bring up Superhero because that's one of the things I wanted to ask you while you were here, um, Bill. You guys went and recorded that in uh, at the BBC that live recording that right. you guys did yeah, I think yeah. It, was, it was with daniel right i think it was daniel was uh, from from bbc he was one of the hosts out there i think his name's daniel yeah yeah probably yeah yeah so um that is that is pretty live off the floor right right oh yeah i mean it's and that, when i listen to that and i and i'll often send that to bands i'll be like until you sound like this live that you're not you got a lot of fucking work to do i mean that to me was shows what kind of a band you guys are i mean you guys are re, like it, it was it was so impressive there's, there's something about that recording that makes it great and it's because we'd been playing those songs live for about a month month and a half before we did that it's something really different about playing a song live than recording it and and this was kind of more what we were like back in the early days like before introduce yourself before the real thing like we would 
we would know the songs that well. Yeah. And Matt would capture that. And yeah. and with this, with Soul and Vic, this is, you know, we're living in this digital age where you can ride and sit and throw some parts mm -hmm. down and it's not the yeah. same thing. And and so when that album, you know, I'm, I'm happy with Soul and Vic because I think it's okay. Uh, but uh, I think that after we toured it for a month, that's the band that should have played on that recording uh and you can hear it and and, and 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 it was very simple it's there's not a lot of tracks it's just live but it's us in control with confidence that's the I difference think, i think that that superhero version is mind-blowingly powerful oh I've, yeah I've, I've watched it so many times yes, yes. put up and i go oh my god this is a band at the height of their powers and i think for me like you say bill you guys had played it so you guys knew it inside and out but honestly the other part of that made it so good it was a singular vocal which left a lot mm -hmm. of space for the music. That's true. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Because we, we really wrestled with Soul Invictus where Bill and I would mix it. we go, oh my God, it sounds really, really good. Then Pat would go, okay, here's 24 tracks of vocals and each one has its own reverb, delay, compression, and doubling. And, and so then we, we, you know, the music's here that we put the voice vocals on, the music kind of got, got quieter and quieter. And I, and I think that it, it did, the, the sound of the record did suffer a little bit because of so much vocal stuff. And Pat had a very specific idea of how he wanted to sit on the track and i think that there wasn't a lot of kind of back and forth it was just like this is how it goes you know from my perspective anyway um when you uh, when you think of you know wh where this band has been um where this band you know will go whether it be you know continuing to make music whether it just be um you know continuing to exist in the space as faith no more what they've done so far um is there anything you look at and go man i wish we would have done that differently or are you are you happy with the way everything's come and the, the way everything's gone in, in the direction. I'm not happy. Uh, Are you ever happy though with that? No, not really. No, actually. Right. I, I mean, I think that's, I mean, the, the part of the unhappiness is, is, is part of the drive to do better, I guess. Right. right of course. I mean, every album, there were things that bothered me from the album before that I never wanted to repeat. Right. Yeah. right. And I think that a lot of our changes that we went through had to, had, that a lot of that in it um so i'm always with this with this band with this music i'm always going to be very very critical i think it's very very hard to let that go even even through a 30-year lens when you look back on angelus is there stuff that bugged you so much before that kind of you kind of let go and go all right that it wasn't as bad as i thought oh absolutely that okay definitely good. it takes sure. it takes about 20 or 30 years <laughs> for you to like that. the record you do get there <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's hope for people yeah yeah i mean i i've, I've criticisms of, of the records too um, from my end of things i could have done better and sure. differently so there's there's always that thing and the thing about bill is i don't know if people realize this but i from from where i see it bill has always been the engine in the band yeah because yeah. I, because i remember when i went and visited bill up in san francisco like uh, way, way before soul invictus he played me a bunch of stuff he recorded and i'm like Man, these sounds like great Faith in the More tracks. He goes, Yeah, it's just me. I go, How many of these tracks do you have? He go, I don't know, like 70 or 80. I'm like, You have 70, 80. <laughs> so, where is and, all that stuff? Yeah, so he's always, and, I've, and got a, I've got just tons of shit. He's got tons of, and the one thing that I've always bugged Bill about, and I think one day will come to light, is his cassette four track version of the song Epic is incredible. All of the, all of the stuff is there the, the, the guitars, the keyboards, the drums, everything is there, including yeah. the actual keyboard part. And like, you know, like I would love to take credit for like, I, I, I heard this little demo and I, I made it better. It's like, no, Bill walked in with a thing that was fully realized. I just helped him capture it as good as we could. And, and so Bill has always been the driving force where like, you know, let's do this or let's do that. He's always been the one who kind of brings the 
the raw material to the table from my perspective anyway. Right, right. Mm -hmm. um, Matt, you're, uh, you know, you, you've gone on and you've, pr you've produced some, some really, really rad bands, um, but very different from Faith No More. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. Like Maroon 5, um, yeah. Train. Did, did any of those bands come to you because of your work with Faith No More? Like, wh what would be the band that would, would you'd say that would, people would be the most surprised that you got a gig because of what you've done with Faith No More. Right. Well, first of all, I can't imagine Room Five came to me for Faith No More. I just can't imagine. Or even no, but, but but sometimes you but sometimes you'd be surprised at those yeah, connections. Yeah. yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know, man. I know that there are bands like I say Corn and 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 uh, you know System of a Down and a bunch of others came to me after that. And you know, it's really weird. I've never said this in in an interview, but I actually turned down bands because I didn't want to kind of dilute the thing I did with Faith No More. I didn't want to do another band that was like a sort of faith no more or influenced by faith no more i just want to work with faith no more right or kind of nobody and i know that probably wasn't the smartest career decision to make you know because i could have worked with a bunch of other people but i was like man i i just there's this thing that we did because you know the, the band would come in with their weird artsy craftsy stuff and i would try to superimpose a little bit of like organizing it and maybe a little yeah, bit yeah. of making it a little more pop in a in a gentle way but and to me that it was that even the wrestling between the band and myself was really important to create really exceptional music you know for me anyway so was it a different experience for you when you went in with somebody that didn't have any of that kind of tension where it was just like hey matt we're coming to see you because you're good at doing this and yeah pretty much most other bands feel more it, was, it wasn't a big fight They're a little more polite <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but i think i think other bands were more yeah they're more homogenized more monochromatic it was almost like all the guys were kind of doing the same kind of music together. Like sure. every other band, all the members were actually moving in a very similar direction. Right. And whatever kind of music was like, well, it's just that kind of music. Faith the More, it was a total crapshoot because, yeah. you know, one guy's into African drumming, one guy's into like, you know, disco, one guy's into something else. And you're just like, what the, I mean, one guy's into pop, you know, one guy's into killing joke. And it was like trying to, you know, corral marbles rolling down a hill. Like, ah, shoot, I don't know, you know? And, but it really, there was a dynamic tension that was really, really, really important, you know? And I've never encountered since that, that kind of moving in separate, opposite, different directions. I've never, ever encountered that, you know? Um, I imagine you, Bill, sitting with Matt for so many years and 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 watching, you know, what he does, which is he's really good at. I mean, you know, the proof mm -hmm. is even after you guys, he went on to produce some massive stuff. Did you pick up a lot in terms of how you work around in the studio? I was a sponge. I was, uh, I mean, yeah. Matt, the test to this, like, I was a pain in his ass. <laughs> I watched everything that he did. I mean, I was completely, I was there all the time watching everything he did all yeah. the time. Yeah. It was to me. It was all fascinating. It was all he was making magic, as far as I was concerned. Yeah. Well, yeah. You were always interested in that stuff, which is why you end up carrying the torch and recording Soul Invictus. You were always very, very interested in the other side of the glass, which was really mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. But even even the uh, the last uh, the Faith the Round before Soul Invictus, the album of the year. Yeah. That was you. I mean, you really wasn't it you and who and who was the other guy? Uh, Fleming. Or who was the guy that that produced that with you? What's his name? Produced what? Sorry. Album of the year. My wife just texted me. <laughs> what? She's like, are you still on there? Get off. We have groceries. Album of the year. I mean, I remember visiting you when you made Album of the Year. It was in the basement of your house and you had all this yeah. gear there. And so, yeah. again, that Rolly. was. Like, Rolly. Rolly, yeah. Rolly, so he, yeah. Yeah. So he was helping you, but you were kind of becoming de facto producer and really pulling that thing. Well, through. you know, everybody was kind of like for that record, it was like herding cats, getting everybody to come in because they all kind of had their these other project that they were kind of focusing on and bringing everybody back was a real, real battle. And uh, so I was de facto producer because I was kind of while we were making the record, I was the constant. And uh, 
Rolly, it was kind of like re- similar to to what um, Matt helped us with Soul Invictus, where you know it was like, okay, I mean, I don't know if I would trust myself to mix this. So we had Matt mixing our other records, and we've had like Andy Wallace mixing a record. Like, I don't know, there's no fucking way I'm gonna mix. You know, it's yeah. not gonna, no way is it gonna hold up to this. So yeah. you know, Rolly did some stuff with the Young Gods, which is a very interesting, great band, and I'd yeah. met him before, and I really liked him. Uh, so. You know, we were hoping he'd just be kind of our mixer. And he, this was the early days of Pro Tools, and he worked more in that digital realm. Um, like Young Gods, definitely you can hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, you know, there's some things really that we could probably tighten up and fix. And I, that I hadn't even thought of. And that was, he ended up getting actually pretty involved in in, in getting the arrangements tightened up. And and that that was amazing. I learned a lot there. And that was really the, the that was the 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 early early beginnings of digital recordings when people were actually starting to you know record in different places and send files to each other. I mean, people before that had been doing it for about three or four years, but what they were doing was flying in vocals and fixing right. vocals, for right. example, fixing a bad drum, you know, the mm. one track or two tracks. And with Rolly, we basically had like you know thirty two tracks transferred from we got a real to real machine and brought it into my, my house into my basement and uh, transferred it into the pro tools. And we did some work in there and put it back to tape again. So that was kind of a big deal at the time. That was kind of a crazy thing to do. Uh, I appreciate both of you taking the time. I have one last thing to, to speak to you about, and I want to wait till the end to ask you. Um, no, 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 don't worry. Don't worry. Uh, so as you know, Bill, you know, we, a couple of my buddies and I, one of the guys from Mastodon, um, another bill and, uh, and my partner in slaves, Kevin, we, we wanted to do this project when everyone was out of work the roadie, for Rody oh, Relief. Yeah. So we did the Kings of Quarantine project and um, we covered We Care A Lot. Reached out to you through Moss and, um, and got you to do a little thing on the end. What was that like for you to, 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 to look back? Because I know I got, you know, I know you had mentioned, you know, you'd text me and said, you know, it was really well done, this and that. And, and yes. I got Roddy's reaction of seeing, you know, DMC singing his lyrics and how that meant a lot to him. But what was it like for you to see all of these bands? Because I'll tell you, man, we put four of those songs together. That was the easiest one because the minute I said the song across the board, everybody wanted to be involved. Everybody likes that song. Everybody loves Faith. Yeah. What was it like for you to sit back and see all of these artists come together from different genres and, and all want to be there because they wanted to be there? I could feel it more than anything else like the energy was there is something like i mean i've had people do covers i've heard faith the more and, and a lot of times i've been really polite and just kind of smiled and said oh you know sounds yeah, yeah. it's kind of like looking at a character caricature of yourself that's that's not very flattering at least for me most of the time uh, right. and this was not that it was like i actually forwarded it to the guys and said check this out like these guys kind of did it like there was an energy that, that that attracted me to it i could feel that energy and that that yes. was what I get missing from a lot of people to do us that had that vibe that I thought was really great. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Matt, when you heard it, I was blown away. Yeah. I, I'm with Bill. I mean, I, you could feel that people were into it. Yeah. And it was, it was a labor of love. And the fact that DMC got on board too, was like, I mean, come on, yeah. that's really fantastic. That's yeah. It was yeah, really cool. pretty cool. Yeah, pretty, pretty, cool. pretty much one of the, in the top three best covers I've ever heard, to be honest. Wow. Cause that's, it did have the right energy. It really did. I mean, the energy was really there. Like it was undeniable and could stand up to the original pretty, pretty, pretty well, I think. But you, the other ones that you've done also have that energy. Like when I worked on the channel zero with you, like yeah. that was another one, the energy was there. And that, that's, a, that's a tough song, you know, to get a band to play that. Yeah. Like 
you know, if you looked at it, you know, on paper, you're like, that doesn't sound like such a good idea. I know. Maybe, you know, believe it could fuck up bad. Believe yeah. me. I know. I mean, first of all, you know, for me, as you guys know, Faith No More is Holy Grail, but the, the next one in line is Public Enemy. I mean, you don't fuck. Yeah, with Chuck. I know. You do not fuck but, with Chuck. But stuff. It, I think I think you did it. I think it yeah. was good. There's, 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 there's an energy you guys are doing. And there's a way you're doing it. That's right. I think it works. Yeah. Well, I'm just hoping we get a couple more global pandemics and we'll just continue those because right now everybody's <laughs> back to work. But um, guys, you know, this this is meant a lot to me for you both take the time to do this. Uh, as you both know, um, I'm a huge fan of, of, of the work that you guys have done together. And um, I think it's really cool that you guys are, are taking the time to talk to different people about these records because it's, 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 it really is a celebration because the, the work that you guys did did change the face of music for generations. And I know it's probably strange to hear, but it really did. So I think, um, I, th I think Faith the More changed the musical gene pool. Absolutely, I think oh, you can. Oh, hundred and forty ten percent. Faith the More, and I, I absolutely believe that. And Billy's probably sitting there going, "I'm just waiting. My wife's bugging me. I got to go do groceries. Whatever." <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just really funny. I mean, I'm living. I'm living in the same house that I was living in when we made Angel Dust, for example. Right. Right. I walk outside my street. I go to the same store. You know. Sure. And I remember how I felt then because I, my life, in some ways, is not that much different from then. Uh, and it's really it's just strange to think about. I remember what my headspace was then. And I remember what we wanted to do. And I remember we were trying to do, and then to be 30 years later and look back and still be here and go like, wow, we, we kind of did something that we intended. It, it made it across. I mean, it yeah. is a really cool, it's a cool thing. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, you know, everybody subjectively listens to what they want. I don't know what people like about it, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I couldn't say what I like about it might not be what somebody else is, but the fact that it translated somewhere, I think is, is that's the best kind of validation I think an artist could have. And I'm super, super grateful about that. Um, and moving forward, Bill, what do you have coming down the pipeline? Um, I know you have, I know you've, you've got this, this alcohol thing. Um, and it's weird cause you talked to me about it before and, and, and I'm, you know, I'm 29 years sober in AA. So for me, it's like, cool. But can you tell me a bit about this, this alcohol and this, and this thing uh, that, you're, that you're working with? Yeah. I mean, it started back from Faith No More was touring back in the, in the early nineties. Um, we, we got into some Eastern European gigs pretty yep. early on when the bands weren't playing there and, and, um, kids were coming uh, and bringing the stuff that, that, that families make out there. Like everybody's family makes this stuff called Rakia and that's from the fruit from the farm and they know how to distill it. They've been doing it for like 800 years. It's very personal. There wasn't a lot of money back there, but people were giving us the Rakia. And right. I just became really, I've been going there with bands and like just hanging out there. I like the area. I like the people. And uh, I got addicted to, well, <laughs> addicted. <laughs> I became attached to this, this drink. And um, I, I couldn't get it here and right. uh, I couldn't get it here for 20 years. And like about three years ago, I decided like, you know, there's some people that really, this is an exceptional thing. It's very different from anything here. It's a lot like music in a way, right? I'm turning right. people on to some good music. And uh, so I started importing it a couple of years ago and I'm, I'm kind of doing that full time. And it's different than the music business, obviously, because it's, it's, it's a lot of laws. It's a lot of regulations. It's, you know, you're, it's kind of like, the music part of the business of the retail business, right? right? Because you're selling products literally. But um, on the other hand, it's a lot like music. Uh, it's similar because I'm going out and I'm, I'm explaining it to people. It's a lot like touring and it's just handmade stuff and it's, it's cultural and it's, it's like music. It's, it's a way that people can get something people can connect through. Um, you know, like, 
our music was always very visual. I, I, I always wanted it to be visual where when you hear it, it takes you someplace. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and this stuff to me is very visual. I think when, when you taste it, it takes you someplace. It takes you to the farm that it came from. So nice. that's kind of why I gravitate to it. I, I, there's a similarity there. So yeah, that's what I've been doing for the past couple of years. And Matt, what do you got coming? Oh man, I'm just uh, working. I'm doing a lot of mixing in Atmos. Also, known oh, I was, as yeah, you're, I, I I listened to that's I listened right. to Epic and Spatial Audio, and yeah, that was a trip. Isn't that cool. So we got Ed, and again, check it out. What happened yesterday? What happened number, yesterday? Number, number one Epic, on rock. Yeah, Epic's number one oh, yes. on rock. Epic's yeah, number right? one on rock. Isn't that great? That's yeah, it's, isn't that fantastic? That. Yeah. yeah, that's really a thrill. So there's that. We we've also did Midlife Crisis. And uh, easy, so those are all out on on uh, spatial audio. So it's really a thrill. Yeah, and that did this Gibson TV uh, interview like nine months ago, and they finally put it out. We're Brilliant. like we're at like fifty five thousand views already, which is insane. Yeah, it's so really good. Interest really in the band. Good. Yeah, there, there's still people still want to know about the band and what how how did it come to be and you know so it's really a thrill just to be a part of that That's yeah and a, sh- and, and a big shout out to jim from faith no more followers for doing that documentary that little doc i don't know if you guys saw it on angel dust it was really well done i went where's this yeah at? i didn't see it well, I'll, for, I'll forward it to you i'll forward you later. yeah it was uh, i was i was yeah. really i was and it just showed me that you know that the 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 spirit of the band is very much alive through so many people um and you know seeing that on your page yesterday, Matt, um, you know, that Epic was number one at rock on an, an Apple music. Right. I was just like, man, you know, cool. and yeah. And it's like, it's, it's, it's the, you know, the TikTok generation, it's, it's going to take, you know, you see Kate Bush running up that hill because um, yes. a stranger <laughs> things like, what? My, you know, my daughter, my, I picked my daughter up from school and she's like, dad, um, do you know this band Deftones? I'm like, fuck yeah. And she's like, well, they, they're on TikTok. I take her to the Deftone show. She, her mind's blown. So it just, you never know wow. what's going to happen. It's so amazing. It, it really is. We live in an interesting world, but um, guys, thank you so much for taking the okay. time. This, this has meant a hell of a lot to me. Awesome, 100%. Yeah, really. Thanks so much. hundred percent. All right, man. Good to see you take guys. Take care. All right. See you guys. guys. Take care. All right, bye. bye. Man, I really, you could really tell they're friends. Like a lot yeah. of people, I, I've seen so many interviews where there's press junkets and there's actors standing next to each other and they're like, we read lines together and got paid money. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> you could generally tell that they were friends even before the fame. And actually, they both found fame through the same project. And what really threw me for a loop is when he said that I didn't want to produce any other bands that reminded me of Faith No More because yeah. what we did was so special. And I'm like, I probably lost a lot of career opportunity over that. And I'm like, wow, who does that? Who has yeah. that kind of integrity? I know. That's I know. insane. Can you uh, tell the people uh, what, you know, what other bands he has produced as well? Matt Wallace has worked with, um, I mean, he mentioned in the interview, he's worked with um, Maroon 5. He's worked with Train. Um, he's worked with a ton of bands. He's mixed a lot of stuff. So that's what's really crazy is that the guys worked in the world of pop. Um and he's worked in, in, you know, mainstream rock, but Faith No More was kind of like that band, you know what I mean? That band that yeah. Matt Wallace will always be associated with Faith No More. Kind of like um, if you're a fan of Korn, um, Ross Robinson will always be associated with Korn. He was the guy that did the first Korn record. And no matter how many things he did after him, he went on to do the Cure record, did all kinds of stuff. Ross Robinson's always going to be, you know, corn and uh same mm-hmm. thing with matt i mean matt is uh, matt has done a ton of stuff if you just check out his his discography it's very very impressive but um 
the fact that, you know, he did all the work with Faith No More, comes back to Faith No More years later when they do um, another record, I just thought it was a beautiful thing. So the day after we had that chat, um, my daughter and I got in the car and we went to Toronto. Um, and this was awesome because I was on such a high from doing this conversation with Matt and with uh, Bill that I was like, hey, do you want to listen to Faith No More? And really listen to Faith No More. So we went in chronological order from one of their very early records. Not the first album. We went from Introduce Yourself, then we went to The Real Thing, then we went to Angel Dust, then we went to King for a Day, and we listened to all the records back to back. And she was just in love. And on the way back, we listened to um, the last two. And she just loved it. And when we were in the, Toronto in a record store, I went into a record store and I checked out the 45 section and I found this, which is crazy. It's a radio promo single, 45 of We Care A Lot. And it has Matt's name on there. Um, this is from 1987. And I found this and it's an absolute perfect, perfect shape. That was nuts. So I sent a message to the guys and I said, look what I found after our conversation. They were like, what? So just cool. Life's weird how it works. Uh, you're speaking about Billy. You know, I've I've seen Billy on stage at Heavy MTL, mm -hmm. of course. But uh, Billy made a cameo in our in the Kings of Quarantine We Care a Lot video. Yeah, like right at the end of it, and that was the scene stealer. That's the thing that got the most press. I know, just Billy's natural comedic timing. Yeah, exactly. At the <laughs> just end. at the very, very, very end of it. <laughs> and did, like, did did didn't it make you feel good that mm. you were so involved with that project, and then here you are, two people that you know helped create and and make that song what it is you know yeah. one being the per, one of the people that wrote it one of the people that captured you know the essence of the song on on tape they both gave us so many flowers for that i mean they were just like yeah. and you know you had such a big part in that so that must have felt good i know for me because we did it with such you know enthusiasm and with so much motivation for the right reasons i think that it comes across and you know, you can't watch that video and hear that song without like the, the two go hand in hand, the original source material, the interpretation musically, and then visually, like the whole thing yeah. is just the body of work. It's just, it, it is, it's what makes it, um, so special. So I'm sure for you, you were pretty, pretty happy that they were, they weren't going, yeah, it was kind of cool. And like rushing through the question. Well, like they, well, I was happy. They were happy. Like every yeah. time, every time anybody famous or not famous is on my computer and I'm editing it. My concern is, are they in sync and is it bright enough? Yeah. Like that's really what I'm always <laughs> yeah. thinking about, but it is really nice to see that after all that work, especially that first one, the first one was magic. Um, it's really nice to see that Billy especially responded to it so well, because mm. really what that first cover was, was a bunch of artists coming together saying, we love faith no more. And mm -hmm. that's the coolest part about it. Yeah, no, because I it's know. It's almost know. a little mini tribute album in a way. Oh and yeah, that's, yeah, uh, yeah. In yeah. in three minutes, it's kind of like a tributes a tribute album's worth of uh, collaborations. And I just got to say one thing about Faith No More. Um, I don't know all their the names of their tunes, but I remember falling asleep while watching a movie. I can't remember what movie it was, but I heard this this song in my dreams, and I thought I was writing it. I thought I thought it up, and it's like. You want it that, all, that, that's epic. That's yeah, epic. yeah, exactly. And I woke up thinking, I'm gonna be fucking rich. I just wrote this amazing song in my dreams, and then someone turned on the movie again, and I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so for about 
eh, 10 minutes. I thought my life was going to change yeah. because it was just a crazy song. And, and, and watching that song on Saturday Night Live is something else. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seeing Mike, Mike Patton God. crawl into the wind turbines in the back. And yeah, Mike it, Patton is one crazy, charismatic, great looking, like what a star. Like, wow. Holy yeah. shit. And yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm late just, to the Fave No More train. Okay. I'm just going to say that, but holy shit. Yeah. Well, get on. There's always room. And believe me, man, it's uh, it's a ride that you won't regret. I, I'm going to keep on with this, the whole puns of like the train. Like it's a ride you won't regret. It'll take you right to where you need to get to. Um, it might, you know, the road might be a little bumpy along the way, but just sit back, strap yourself in and enjoy the Faith No More ride. Okay. okay whatever. Like, awesome. you know what I'm getting to. Um, oh, yeah. Ryan, pleasure again, as always. Uh, we've got some great stuff on the way. Um, and again, we'd like to thank our... Uh, Sponsor, Heartbeat Hot Sauce. You guys are absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for always supporting us. Check them out, heartbeathotsauce.com. I am holding up the blueberry habanero, which I absolutely adore, and uh, I'm almost done. Wink, wink, send me more. Um, And if you want to order some, go check it out. That's where I'm going to order it from. Right here, I'm going to use my own code, ROCKMAN20. It'll get you 20% off, and um, that's it. Ryan, I'm out. Thank you for Studio House. Thank you to you. Thank you to uh, our producer julia kajerski and uh and thank you to billy and matt for um for coming on the show we will see you next week on the rockman power hour and thank you to that woman who works at wendy's yesterday who said i look like a guy from hemlock grove made me feel good could be worse wrote in my diary 